in the footsteps of Jesus from down under. This is Nick Rita, your host. I'm very happy and privileged to welcome you again to the program. This program features mainly testimonies and stories, but today it's a bit special because uh, we are just approaching the end of the year and with all the celebrations and I've got today with me uh, Jana Tyler sharing with us uh, a bit more about uh, the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Please stay with us and don't go anywhere because we have good music and amazing things to share with you. Um, what I want to talk to you today is about the reason for my favorite time of year. I love Christmas. I love the Christmas carols. I love the festivities. I love all of the lights. Um, and these days, Christmas isn't really about Christ's birth, and we know that it wouldn't have been at this time of the year, but it's a wonderful reminder when the whole world stops. Um, and not everyone is looking to the Christ in Christmas, but I know that for me, that's why it's one of my favorite times of the year. Now, I'm sure there are many things we can take from the Christmas story. I don't think that there are any stories which are in the Bible um, that are just there for a story. They all have their own lessons. But what I want to focus on today is those that were present at Christ's birth um, and those that weren't and what impacts they have then and now. So we had three groups of people, um, but we had the shepherds, the wise men, and I've put there the priests, but in saying the priests, we're looking at the whole Jewish nation. So this will be a little bit of a history le lesson, so I hope you can bear with me um, and that I won't bore you too much. But we're going to start, we're going to go through the story first, and then we're going to break down and take out the parts of the story which relate to these three groups of people. So we're going to start in Luke chapter 2, verse 4 to 20. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. 
These shepherds were the first people to take notice of Christ after his birth. They found him in a manger. They were the ones who saw and heard glorious things concerning him and made them known abroad to the amazement of all who heard them. I want you to ponder for a moment how poorly orchestrated this event was by modern standards. It's the wrong time, it's the wrong place, and it's the wrong people. To have it happen in the middle of the night when no one is around, what a wasted opportunity. To have it happen in little Bethlehem in a stable, no less, what a wasted opportunity. To have a gaggle of shepherd nobodies be the recipients of this news. Again, what a wasted opportunity. In a little while, we'll look at Matthew and the sign which was given of the arrival of this ambassador, this prince from heaven, to the wise men who were Gentiles by a star. But here we are told of the sign given to the shepherds who were Jews by an angel. To each God chose to speak in the language they were comfortable with. The angel was not sent to the chief priests or the elders, for they were not prepared to receive these things but to a company of poor and lowly shepherds. It's interesting, to be a shepherd was not necessarily considered to be one of the higher occupations in the Judean province, which I find surprising considering some of Israel's greatest leaders and the people they looked up to were shepherds. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, as was Moses and David at one point. And yet somehow Judean shepherds had come to be known as the lowest of the low, the vagabonds, the outcasts, thieving rascals. And as they watched their sheep on the hills outside of Bethlehem, they were awake, watching, not sleeping in their beds when this news was brought to them, but abiding in the fields. Those that would hear from God must be on guard. As these shepherds were awake, they could therefore not be deceived in what they saw and heard, as those who may have been half asleep. The sudden appearance of the angel at first struck fear in the hearts of these hardy countrymen. In the original Greek text of Luke 2, in verse 9, it tells us that they feared fear great. And this expression has been captured in English translations such as they were sore afraid, or they were greatly afraid. And yet how would you feel as a lowly shepherd, the lowest of the low, out on the hills in the middle of the night, and suddenly the hosts of heaven are presented to you. I can only imagine how this fear was mixed with awe and a feeling of unworthiness at this great honour. An angel of the Lord stood before them, interrupting the quiet, the dark night, was a shining presence of angels and the glory of the Lord. The angels brought good tidings, preaching the gospel to these shepherds who were regarded as social outcasts. The Saviour is born, he is born this day, and it is a matter of great joy to all people. It is not to be kept a secret. You may proclaim it, you may tell to whom you please. He is born in the place where it was foretold he should be born, in the city of David, and he is born to you. To you, the Jews, he has been sent in the first place to bless you, to you, the shepherds, though poor and mean in the world. Referring back to Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 where it says, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. 
not merely to the Jews or to the Seventh-day Adventists or to the Christians, but to us for the whole world. The angels announce the birth of a saviour, which is exactly what mankind needs. We don't need another advisor or another informer, a reformer, sorry, or a committee, but a saviour. Sometimes we feel as though we need to confirm our faith and our communion with God in this world, and it is no reflection upon the testimony of angels nor upon divine testimony itself to get it corroborated by observation and experience. And so these shepherds go to see. But they do not speak doubtfully. They do not say, let us go see whether it be or not. But with assurance, they say, let us go see this thing which has come to pass. For what room was left to doubt when the Lord had made it known to him, them? The word spoken by angels was steadfast and unquestionably true, and they immediately made their visit. When we read of Jesus wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger, some may be tempted to say, surely this cannot be the Son of God. But see his birth attended here as it was with a choir of angels, and we can say, surely it can be no other than the Son of God. The poverty in which they found Christ the Lord wasn't a shock to their faith, who themselves knew what it was to live a life of comfortable communion with God in very poor and mean circumstances. And I'm sure it is likely that the shepherds told Joseph and Mary of the vision of the angels they had seen and the song of the angels they had heard. And it is probable that Joseph and Mary told the shepherds what visions they had had concerning the child. And so by communicating their experiences to each other, they were greatly strengthened and strengthened one another's faith. So the shepherds made known abroad the whole story of what was told them both by the angels and now by Joseph and Mary, that he was the saviour, even Christ the Lord, and that in him there is peace on earth, that he was conceived by the Holy Ghost and born of a virgin. This they told everybody and agreed in their testimony concerning it. Thus these men at the bottom of the social scale were chosen as the first preachers of this newborn king. The shepherds were plain, downright, honest men. What, had they said, what they had said, therefore, was likely to be true. And if true, they could not but wonder at it that the Messiah should be born in a stable and not in a palace, that angels should bring news of it to poor shepherds and not to the chief priests. They wondered, but never inquired any further about the Saviour, their duty to him, or the advantages by him, but let the thing drop as a nine-day wonder. Oh, the amazing stupidity of the men of that generation. So why were these shepherds chosen as the first on earth to hear the strange, glorious news of the birth of the Saviour of the world? To me, it seems as though this very humble order was selected as a practical illustration of that which in the future history of Christianity was to be so often exemplified, the exaltation of the humble and the meek. Now, one would think these hints should have surely been taken by the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, that they should have with both arms have embraced the long looked for Messiah. But for aught, it appears, he continued nearly two years after at Bethlehem according to scholars, and no further notice was taken of him until the wise men came. Sure, the people marvelled, enjoying the story as we enjoy the story of Christmas.
but how soon we forget. Mary ponders the meaning of it all, keeping it close in her heart. We do not immediately have all the answers, but we must treasure the truth that we now know until God should shed further light on it, upon, upon it in, in our lives. It was only then that the shepherds returned to their vocation to their sheep, glorifying and praising God. Yet they would never be the same. They would see life differently from now on. How often, after our mountaintop experiences, we return to the ordinary and the mundane, but our experience of God should inform our everyday life. Their zeal in glorifying and praising God is an implied rebuke of our ingratitude. If the cradle of Christ had such an effect on them as to make them rise from the stable and the manger and look to heaven, how much more powerful should the death and resurrection of Christ be in raising us to God. The contrast between the angelic glory and the humble Jesus must have seemed extreme. It's interesting how God loves to put his glory in unlikely packages, so his glory is more clearly displayed. So let's now move on to Matthew, where we hear of the priests and the wise men. So we're going to go to Matthew, going to start at the end of chapter 1, and read through to chapter 2 and verse 11. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and gave him the name Jesus. And after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. There are many misconceptions and legends about these magi who came from the east, these travellers who are often called wise men. There were not kings, as some hymns suggest, but wise men. There were not only three, but probably a great company. And being from the east, they may have been among the Jews who were exiled from Judah and Israel centuries before. Or might I even suggest that looking back down the ages, they had come to believe the prophecies of Daniel, which marked the birth of the Messiah. Remember, when Daniel went to Babylon, he studied under people who studied dreams and visions and stars. It seems likely to me that these same magi may have been the Chaldeans from the east 
having remembered Daniel's words. They would have been students of the prophets, and they would be interested in this coming son of David. There was widespread expectation for the birth of a great ruler. That many Jews were mixed with this people, there is little doubt, and that these Eastern Magi, or philosophers, astrologers or whatever else they were, might have been originally of that class. And knowing the promise of the Messiah, were now probably, like other believing Jews, waiting for the consolation of Israel. There was a general expectation of a Messiah or great man from Judah, and not very long after Jesus was born, the Roman historian Suetonius wrote, There had spread over all the Orient an old and established belief that it was fated at that time for men coming from Judah to rule the world. Tacitus, another Roman historian of the period, wrote that there was a firm persuasion that at this very time the East was to grow powerful and rulers coming from Judea were to acquire universal power. Well, whatever sort of wise men they were before, they now began to be wise indeed as they set themselves to inquire after Christ. So where do they go? They come to the city of David, Jerusalem, to look for the son of David. Jewish prophecies and even Romans were expecting this coming ruler. This is likely why Herod is so nervous. Guided by the astronomical phenomenon mentioned previous, they came to the area and expected to find answers in Jerusalem. They expected the leaders and people of this capital city of the Jews would be even more interested than they were. It is interesting that Matthew does not tell us specifically that the star guided them to Jerusalem. For we have seen his star in the east... There are many different suggestions for the origins of this remarkable star, but whatever it was, it is significant that God met them in their own medium. He guided the astronomers by a star, fulfilling what it says in Numbers, a star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel. And this was widely regarded by ancient Jewish scholars as a messianic prediction. After listening to the king, the wise men go on their way. And behold, the star they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. It stops when they get to Jerusalem and then it shows up again and even hovers over the exact house that Joseph and Mary are in. It has been often remarked that the shepherds did not miss their way and they came to Christ at once, while the wise men, even with a star to guide them, missed their way and went to Jerusalem instead of Bethlehem inquiring at the palace of Herod instead of the stable where Christ was born. It was a mark of humiliation that although the Lord Jesus, who was the desire of all nations, that his coming to the world was little observed and taken notice of. His birth was obscure and unregarded. Herein he emptied himself and made himself of no reputation. If the Son of God must be brought into the world, one might justly expect that he should be received with all the ceremony possible, that crowns and scepters should immediately have been laid at his feet, and that the high and mighty princes of the world should have been his humble servants. Such a Messiah as this, the Jews expected. But we see none of this at all. He came into the world, and the world knew him not. Yet as afterward... So in his birth, some rays of glory dart forth in the midst of the greatest instances of his humiliation. The Jews regarded not Christ, but these Gentiles inquired about him. I find it interesting that many times those who are nearest to the means are furthest from the end. 
The respect paid to Christ by these Gentiles was a happy specimen of how of what would follow when those who were afar off should be made aware of the Christ. So let's move on to our last group of people. We've already established that this prophecy of Jesus and the Messiah was well known, even by Roman historians. Even secular scholars mention about him. There were false Christs popping up here, there and everywhere, and yet God's own people as a whole seem to miss the boat. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 2 to 6, I'm just going to read over this passage again. It says, When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah is to be born, and they reply, in Bethlehem. The Magi ask, where is he born? They call Christ the King of the Jews, for so he was expected to be. He is the protector and ruler of all of spiritual Israel. He was born a king. And to this question, the Magi expected to have a ready answer, to find all of Jerusalem worshipping at the feet of this new king. But they come from door to door with this question and no one can give them an answer. All of Jerusalem was disturbed. The priests and the scribes need not take any long time in giving an answer. They know the answer. They don't differ in their opinion, but all agree that the Messiah must be born in Bethlehem. The Jews, who have the scriptures, are six miles away in Jerusalem, are totally uninterested, while these Gentiles from far away with a broken system are coming to see the king. In Matthew 11, it says, At that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven, and earth that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Well, they told Herod and the Magi, and that was that. Back to business as usual, the sheer silence and inactivity of the leaders is overwhelming in view of the magnitude of what was happening. And notice in verse 3, it's not only Herod that is troubled, but all of Jerusalem with him. In other words, the rumours going around that someone thought the Messiah was born, and yet the inactivity of the part of the priests is staggering. Why not go with the Magi? Why not go and worship him too? In short, they're not interested. They don't want to worship the true God. On the other hand, Herod could not be a stranger to the prophecies of the Old Testament concerning the Messiah, and the times fixed for his appearing by Daniel's weeks. But having himself reigned so long and so successfully, he began to hope that these promises would perhaps fail. But though Herod, an Edomite, was troubled, one would have thought Jerusalem would rejoice at knowing their king had come. And yet it seems all of Jerusalem, except the few there that waited, were troubled with Herod and were apprehensive of the birth of this new king. And Herod, he's really afraid. So much so that he schemes and lies and then commits mass murder just to get rid of Jesus. The slavery of sin is foolishly preferred by many to the glorious liberty of the children of God, only because, like the Jews, they apprehend some present difficulties attending that necessary revolution in the soul. Herod and Jerusalem are troubled from a mistaken notion that the kingdom of the Messiah would clash and interfere with the world they knew, whereas the star that proclaimed him king 
plainly showed that his kingdom was heavenly and not of this world. The reason why the kings of the earth and the people oppose the kingdom of Christ is because they do not know it or understand it. It was his star, the star was Christ's star itself, but it also led others to Christ. It did this very much because it moved in that direction, and it is a sad thing when a preacher is like a signpost pointing the way but never following it on his own account. And such were these chief priests. They could tell where Christ was born, and yet they never go to worship him. They were indifferent altogether to him and his birth. The star that leads to Christ must always be going to Christ. It's interesting here how Jews and Gentiles compare notes. The Gentiles know the time of his birth by a star. The Jews know the place of his birth by the scriptures. And so they are capable of informing one another. It would contribute much to the increase of knowledge if we did mutually communicate. Men grow rich by bartering and exchanging. And so if we have knowledge to communicate to others, they will be ready to communicate to us. The Jews understood the biblical information correctly but failed in application to their lives. All the imagery shows God's concern for his people regardless of their social status or their vocation. He cares for all and identifies with all in their own way. There is more gross ignorance in the world and in the church too than we are aware of. Many that we think should direct us to Christ are themselves strangers to him. How many of you have attended the carols this year. There's been carols going on in all of the little councils in the city. And it makes me smile as people who don't believe necessarily in God come to the carols and sing his praises. They sing joy to the world, away in a manger, the first Noel, hark the herald, angels sing, and on and on it goes. And yet if you were to ask them the meaning behind these words, or even to ask them about Christ, I'm sure they'd shut you down. So today there are two kinds of opposition that will come against Christ and his worshippers, indifference and his hostility. I want this Christmas to be the time when you reconsider the Messiah and ponder what it is to worship him. Do we, like the shepherds, come immediately, trusting and fall at his feet? Or... Like the wise men, do we get lost along the way, but ultimately come to him? Or, like the priests, do we have all the right answers, but merely not follow through? Give me Jesus. 
Jesus, you can have this whole world. 